0: Revelation chapter twenty, <coughs> Revelation chapter twenty, and let me remind you that um, <coughs> the lunch bunch today will be going to the Country Club, Lakewood Country Club, and we hope that you will come with us. You're invited. If you want to come, just see Dr. Kane or. Or uh, Fay, or just tell me, and we will see you there right after early church. Okay, Revelation, chapter 20. Now, <clears throat> the book of Revelation is a series of letters written to seven churches. Uh, the circumstances is, uh, are these. Jesus appears to John in a vision. And when we say a vision, what we mean is that John, who is, whose body is on the island of Patmos, maybe sitting there on the island meditating, suddenly falls into a trance-like state, and he sees a vision of Jesus. And Jesus dictates to John what we call the book of the Revelation. It's actually a series of letters That contain exhortations to seven churches and he's exhorting these churches to remain faithful because here's the situation in order to keep their jobs many people have compromised their faith and they have either offered sacrifices in honor of Caesar the Emperor or they're on the verge of doing that and Jesus exhorts them not to do that. They would do that they would do that at meal times. Many of these people belonged to guilds and in these guilds their monthly meetings were big meals and included in the meal was sacrifices that had to be made. And so some of these church people wanting to keep their job, wanting to avoid persecution have either done this or, or they're on the verge of doing this. In fact, some people in the church are even encouraging them to do this. But, Jesus says, to do this is to deny your faith. And John, therefore, exhorts the people to remain faithful, to overcome the temptation, even to the point of death, no matter what it costs you. And if you do, you will be rewarded. Don't bow the knee. You will receive a, a reward. Which he variously describes as crowns, eternal life, sitting at the messianic banquet with Jesus, and uh, he, so he exhorts them to be faithful. So this brings up the question: Well, when will Satan, uh, will, when will Caesar and his cohorts, and Satan, who's the power behind the throne, uh, get what's coming to them? When are they going to get what's coming to them for persecuting Christians? And by the way, when are we going to get what's coming to us? When are we going to get these rewards that you're talking about? So last week we got the answer. Uh, We saw in Revelation that when the Lord returns, the beast and his administrators and the powers behind the throne uh, will all be judged and cast into the lake of fire. And what about the masses of people who've given their allegiance to these guys? Okay, Well, they're going to get theirs too. So we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Revelation 20 and verse 11. What about the masses of people who've given their allegiance to the emperor? We see that they too will be judged. Now look what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon the throne. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now notice the phrase I saw, which means that John is still having a vision, and in this vision he sees two things. What does he see? First of all, a throne, and second of all, a king on the throne whom he doesn't identify at this point. But we will identify this being as God or his representative, Jesus Christ. And notice that this throne and the person on the throne are suspended in midair. Like a hologram. Just... He looks up, and there they are, right there, just in midair. Because the earth, look what it says in verse 11. The earth and heaven, meaning the sky, fled away. Fled away. Why did they flee away? It says, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. And look what the end of verse 11 says. And there was found no place for them, meaning the things that are on earth and the things that are in heaven or the sky. Uh, The only uh, thing that's in existence at this time in John's vision is this throne and this being on the throne. And uh, that's because either God fills up, literally fills up the space and there's no room for anything else, or it's because... uh, in his presence, uh, and under his rule, being on the throne, these p- things have no place whatsoever. Now, what are the earth and what are the heaven? The earth represents the world and everything that's in it. It just flees. That means government, the governments, the social structures, the buildings, everything that's in existence flees. It just disappears. And the heaven represents all that's in it, which would represent the sky and the sun and the moon, The stars, all those kinds of things. So, all that exists is God in this vision. Just right there. He just sees that. Okay? Scene number two. Look at verse 12. And I saw, see, there's the vision, the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. So, in vision two, he now sees something else. He sees the elite of the Roman Empire he sees the poor of the Roman Empire great and small and they're standing before the throne now notice how he identifies these people not only small and great he says i saw the dead you see that in verse 12 but the dead people what are they doing they're standing dead people standing So this seems to indicate some sort of resurrection. They've been brought back to life. But these are people that he identified earlier in the chapter as having died. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, and the books were opened. Notice that's plural. The scrolls were opened, plural. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, Daniel the prophet saw a similar scene. Remember, Daniel had a series of visions regarding what would happen to the Babylonian Empire and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire and so forth, and he said this. He says, the court was seated and the books, plural, were opened. He sees a judgment scene with books opening up. And, he says, the book of life. So what we see is that God has a set of books. These are records that are evidently being kept in heaven, at least in his vision, this is what he sees. And then he says this, and the dead were judged according to their works, their deeds, by the things which were written in the books. So these people who are being judged are going to be judged according to their deeds, according to their actions, according to their works that are found in the books, plural. Now, if you were a member of one of these seven churches in Asia Minor and this portion of Revelation was read to you, during your church service, in other words, it's now been written and it's been delivered, and now it's being read to you, what would you think if you heard uh, this being read? Uh, One of the things that you would say is, well, this is a scene of judgment. God has not forgotten all the actions that the persecutors and the compromisers have done. Justice here is going to be meted out. No one's going to get away with anything. They may have gotten away with murder when they were here on earth, but they're not going to get get away with it now. Right now, they're going to be be judged. God will not forget these people. They're going to get what they deserve. So, if you were one of the people at the church at Smyrna, for example, and you heard this, you Oh, John's telling us when they're going to get what they deserve. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen this new television program uh, that's come on this season. It's one of those cop programs. It's called Unforgotten. Anybody ever see that one, Unforgotten? I'm probably the only crazy person here. <laughs> it's based on a true life story of this woman who cannot forget anything. And she re- everything that's ever happened to her in her life, she remembers. And so now she's on this t- police department, and she... If she walks on the crime scene, she'll remember every detail about the crime scene. And even days later, you know, she'll remember some insignificant piece of evidence that no one else remembers, and she's able to solve the crimes uh, because she can never forget. So, what we have here is that God hasn't forgotten. This is a picture of ultimate judgment in the future. These things that Caesar has done took place. Years ago, but he's going to get what he's going to get because God doesn't forget. And so we see that. And if you were faithful, now look at this. If you were one of those compromisers, just think about this. Well, I'll just, I need to live, don't I? So I'll make a little sacrifice to Caesar. I need a job, don't I? I'll make a little sacrifice to Caesar. Well, guess what? You'll be standing there, and you'll be judged for your works, what you've done. And that's what happens right here. But on the other side of the picture, this scene should inspire those people who have remained faithful and have not compromised. Because what is this going to show you? That It's going to show you that the saved people, they are going to get their rewards. God hasn't forgotten your faithfulness either. In the end, justice is going to be done. So look what it says there in verse uh, 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. No one's going to escape this judgment. Now, what does it mean the sea gave up the dead who were in them? Well, it could mean people who died at sea. But it probably means the people who died in the flood. Everybody who died in the flood is going to be judged that day. They had ample time, 120 years, to repent and give their faithfulness to God, and they have chose not to. So they're going to be there. And then death and the grave deliver up the dead who are in them. So no one escapes. Those buried at sea, those buried at the earth, on earth. And they were judged, each according to his own works. Now, look at the two words, the first word, they, you see that? They were judged, that's plural. And then look at the word each, and each, according to his own works, that's singular. Everybody's going to be judged, but each one will be judged individually. Not going to be judged as a lot. Your name will be called, you'll have to come forward, and you'll be judged based on your own works. And that is the basis for the judgment. The basis for the judgment in verse 13 is his own works or his own deeds. So, here you are, you're sitting in church, this letter is being read to you, and now you're just thinking back over the past couple of weeks what your life's been like, and you have sacrificed to Caesar. And now you hear the story that John says, I saw a, a throne and him that sat on the throne. I saw books opened. I saw a book of life opened. Each person comes forward. That could be me, you thinking, as you're sitting there. Come forward. Your name is called. Opens up the book of works, the deeds, looks in, finds out what you've done. You've sacrificed a Caesar. You wanted your job more than you wanted God. You're going to be judged according to that. That has to be a scary thing to hear this thing being read in the church. I think it would be. And I can imagine you hearing this being read in the church and saying, well, you know, I really didn't mean it when I sacrificed to Caesar. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. I believe the Bible's the word of God. In my heart, I believe. I was just doing that. But I want to tell you something. It's not orthodoxy that saves you. There's a dead orthodoxy. You can believe the right things and miss salvation. It's not orthodoxy that saves you, it's orthopraxy that saves you. You know what that means? That means you must put your faith into action. You just can't talk the game. Your talk has to be matched by your walk. That's orthopraxy. It's not faith plus works, but it's a faith what? That works. And there has to be evidence there. And so I can imagine this church hearing this, and you have these two groups, one that's been faithful no matter what, and the others who have compromised. And they're hearing this. What's going on in their minds? What would be going on in your mind if you heard this being read? In fact, you are hearing it being read. So, what's he say? Look at verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. No one escapes. No one escapes. This is the second death. This is the second death. Now, notice that picture there. Notice what he says. Cast into the lake of fire. Now what kind of picture is that? Because in this vision, guess what he sees? All the dead people, judged according to their works, found guilty, thrown into a lake that's burning with fire. Now I live near a lake. Lake Ray Hubbard, some of you live near a lake. Joe Pool Lake, we've got all kinds of lakes. Ray Hubbard goes for miles. Imagine this lake ablaze and on fire. He sees a lake flaming. And he sees all these people who have been judged thrown into the lake of fire. That's a scary thought. Now this is a vision. This is happening in John's vision. We're not going to take this literally. You don't take things in visions literally. This is not literally a lake of fire. Now, in his dream, in his vision, does he literally see a lake of fire? Yes. But that's not how it's going to happen. It's a symbol. You have to find the meaning behind the symbol. Now listen very carefully, because I want you to get this. I want you to get this. What's more real the symbol or the thing that the symbol represents? What's more real, a picture or the real thing? The real thing. The real thing. Okay. This is a symbol. It probably won't happen like this, but the reality is more real. The reality of hell is far worse than this picture. So when people say, oh, I believe in a literal hell, I know or a literal lake of fire, I know what they mean. But this is symbolic language. You're hunting for the meaning behind the symbolic language. And if this is the symbol, can you imagine what the real thing is? That's far worse. This is intended to frighten the people who hear this. And he calls this the second death, he says in verse 14. This is the second death. They died once physically. Now they stand before judgment and they receive a second death which is separation from God forever. And then he says this, and anyone not found written, now notice he adds something, and not these are the people, he says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Uh, Maybe these are the church people uh that are being judged they profess christ as their savior uh but they've compromised they bowed the knee to caesar and their names are on the church rolls the church members so they stand up and he said well who are you oh we're somebody we we, you know i was a centurion in the roman legion okay lake of fire now look now let me go to who are you i'm a i'm a church member at smyrna oh well let me look for you in the book of life And if your name's not found in the book of life, guess where you end up? Lake of fire. (laughs) Now, what is this book? This book called life. Evidently, just as there is a book of works where records are kept of people's deeds, so there is a book of life, a heavenly register, that records the names of those who possess eternal life. This book of life is mentioned nine times in the Bible. Four times in the Old Testament it's mentioned, and five times in the New Testament. And uh, it identifies those people who are really God's people. Not those who say they're God's people, those who are really God's people, those who give their allegiance to Christ no matter what. How do you know if your name is written in that book? Huh? How would you know that? Because you walked an aisle? Because you're baptized? Because you invited Jesus into your heart? Millions of people do that. Their names are in the church books, but they're not in the book of life. There has to be evidence in your life that you are a real believer. And that evidence, according to John, is this. He that overcometh shall inherit eternal life. So, what is the evidence? Perseverance. Perseverance in the midst of persecution. You don't bow your knee. You don't deny Christ. Because to bow your knee to Caesar is to deny Christ. I say, Caesar is Lord. Here's my little libation at the meal table. Caesar is Lord. And then guess what you're doing? You're denying that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father is in heaven, who is in heaven. So the evidence is that you overcome. Perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. The saints persevere. And I've said it before, it's the perseverance of the saints, not the perseverance of the what? Ain'ts. There's no such thing as the ain'ts. They, the ain'ts do not persevere. What do the ain'ts do? Cave in compromise every time. Now, you don't persevere in order to get saved. Scripture never talks about that. You don't persevere in order to get saved. You don't persevere in order to stay saved. You persevere because you are saved. The saints persevere. The perseverance of the saints. We always say, once saved, always saved. That's fine. I like perseverance better. I like overcoming better. Why? Why? Because that's a biblical concept. The real saints, the ones whose names are in the book of life, they are the overcomers. So we have this book of life. Now in the Roman culture, this is very interesting, cities, Roman cities kept very meticulous records of every person who was a citizen of the Roman Empire. If you were a citizen of the Roman Empire, your name was put in the city register. Your name was placed there. You became a Roman citizen either through birth, at which time your name was put in there, or you became a Roman citizen because you maybe were a slave and you freed yourself and you purchased your citizenship at that point. Maybe at the age of 50, your name was put in there. But your name could also be expunged. Your name could be thrown out of that book, city register. If you were executed, for example, they, they put you to death. They cut your head off. Uh, or you were uh, convicted of a, felon, a felony. They would come and they would go like this they'd scratch your name right out. You lost your citizenship. Remember when a person committed a felony in the United States and they lost certain privileges of their citizenship? Do we still do that? I don't even know if we do that anymore. But I think what Jesus is saying through John here is that even though you are a Roman citizen, and there were some Christians who were Roman citizens, and even though you were a Roman citizen and your name was in their book, and it was expunged, it was eliminated because you refused to compromise and bow the knee to Caesar, and you were executed for that, and your name was knocked out of that book, God will never take your name out of the book of life. It's in there, because you are an overcomer. You've proven your faith. Your name is in the book of life. So, those who choose death for Christ's sake are given life at the end. Those who choose life so they can make a living or whatever, they're given death at the end. It all works out. Justice indeed is meted out. Those people are not in the book of life. They never were in the book of life. Not that you can be in God's book of life and he knocks you out. They were never in the book of life. God knows who's going to be doing these things. God knows who's going to be faithful. He marks you. You can't see the mark, but he marks you. And you're going to be faithful. So let me just show you this example of the book of life, just the three examples in Revelation, because three of the five are in Revelation. So look back at chapter 3 of Revelation. And when you get to chapter 3, look down at verse 5. Chapter 3 and verse 5. here's what it says he who overcomes look at this he who overcomes this is the message to the church one of the churches, whichever one of the church at sardis he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and i will not blot his name out of the book of life but i will confess his name before my father and before his angels so the ones that are overcomers their name is in the book of life there's no place ever that he says he blots a believer's name out of the book of life look over at chapter 13 chapter 13 <clears throat> it talks about <clears throat> all the things that are going to be happening to these churches and how there's blasphemy and uh, And talks about the emperor and all of his hordes in verse 7, 13, 7. Granted to him to make war against the saints and to overcome them. He knocks them off. He kills them. And authority was given to him over every tribe and nation. All who dwell on the earth shall worship him. And that's what happened with the Roman Empire. Everybody worshiped Caesar. He controlled the whole world at that time. Whose names... And here he describes them, all who dwell on earth, verse 8, will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. How many people whose names are not written in the book of life worship him? How many? All of them. There's the book of life. They were never in the book of life. Those who are never in the book of life will give their allegiance to whoever the world leader is or whoever the leader of their nation is, whether he's good or bad. They just bow down and worship him. But those in the book of life, the overcomers, their names will never be blotted out of that book. I'll show you one other example. Look over at Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And look down at verse 27. <clears throat> Talking about the kingdom of God now. <clears throat> it says in verse 27, 2127. But there shall by no means enter it, meaning the kingdom of God, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the real key is not whether you're in the church register, but whether your name is registered in the book of life. So if you were a member of one of those seven churches, in fact, if you're just a member of our church, because although John's writing the seven churches, guess, it applies to people throughout all the ages. It applies to us. Okay? Being a member of a church, and you read this, and you see these threats and these promises, it should cause one of two things to happen. And this is the intent of Revelation. It should cause you to fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom, by the way. It should cause you as a church member to fear God. If you're contemplating compromising just a little bit, it should drive the fear of God right into you. And therefore, you would repent. Isn't that the call that he makes to every one of the churches? Repent. He that hath an ear. Repent. That's One of the purposes of this book. If you're one of those who have remained faithful and you haven't compromised, this should give you great hope. This should be a motivator for you to continue onward because you know in the end those who compromise will get what they deserve and those who remain faithful will be rewarded with the eternal life that they deserve. So Revelation is not written to satisfy our curiosity. And, you know, that's what we usually want when we, want re- we read Revelation. We want our curiosity satisfied. And we always have a problem, don't we? Because when we deal with it in a total futuristic approach, we're always having to revise it. Because remember when Henry Kissinger was identified as the Antichrist? Yeah, and then he's not around anymore. So now we have to find somebody else who could be the antichrist. And if you happen to be a liberal, you liberal Christian or more liberal Christian, uh, you recognized who the real antichrist was. A number of years ago, he was on the scene back in the what eighty? Isn't it Ronald? Look, R O N A L D six. Yeah. Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N. Reagan, R-E-A-G-A-N. 666. Six, six. Oh, obviously, that's the way we should do it, right? <laughs> yeah. That's how we should, we should approach this book. Let's hunt for contemporary people. We'll label that. Oh, there's one of them. There. See, that's ridiculous. Uh, this book is written to, not to satisfy our curiosity, but to motivate us to keep our commitment to the Lord. In other words... It's written to those people who've been baptized to keep their baptismal commitments. When you were baptized, you said, I'm dead to the world and all that it offers. And when you came out of the water, you said, I'm alive to Christ and I'll serve him no matter what. Keep your baptismal commitments. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. And uh, next week, we will discover this glorious future. Here we saw the judgment that he has for the compromisers. And for the evil people, next week we see the glorious future that he has for everybody, all of us, who remain faithful to the end. So we'll stop there and pick up at chapter 21 next week. Lord, we thank you for uh, this word. Help us to understand it. Help us to make sense of it. Help us not to be so foolish to, to speculate and predict. We do not know the future except that which you have revealed. We know, Lord, there will be a judgment. You've revealed that. We don't know how it's all going to work out. We've got it in symbols. We know there will be a reward. You tell us that. Symbolically. And whatever they represent, the reality is far greater. It must be a glorious reward that you have for us. Oh, Lord, help us to, to, to take the real message A message that should motivate us to holiness. Oh Lord, this is what we want to do. We want to serve Christ and be faithful to the end no matter what. In his name we pray. Amen. (coughs)